Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Tom Howard and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's Tuesday the 24th of August and on today's podcast, we'll be looking back at the talking points from last weekend's Le Mans 24 Hours. While Toyota scored its fourth consecutive win, it was the first time its seven crew of Mike Conway, Jose Maria Lopez and Kamui Kobayashi claimed the honours, ending a run of misfortune that had cost them in previous editions. From the outside, it looked like a walk in the park for Toyota, but it was not as serene as it seems, as Le Mans never fails to disappoint with its myriad of storylines. In LMP2, there was a dramatic climax as WRT saw a 1-2 on debut fade on the last lap as a problem saw the lead car of Robert Kubica, Louis Delatraz and Yi Yifi come to a halt, handing the victory to its sister car of Robin Freins, Charles Malazzi and Ferdinand Hasberg. In the end, a dash to the finish saw them pip the 28 Jota by 7 tenths of a second. In GTE, there were close fights throughout the 24 hours in both the Pro and AM classes, which were both ultimately claimed by the AF Corsa Ferrari squad. I'm joined by Autosports sports car racing doyen Gary Watkins to review this year's race and to delve into some of the stories behind the headlines. How are you, how are you feeling after the race? Have you recovered or are you still, uh, still struggling? I'm, I'm not going to say I'm uh, tip-top Tom. Tip top, Tom. That sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, still a bit weary. I'm still in France uh, just because of the workload. I haven't found the sort of eight or so hours I need to uh, get in my car and drive back and get on the, the Euro uh, tunnel and make it home. So, But I will be leaving sometime soon and I'll be back on early Tuesday evening. I'm not feeling great, but, you know, a, a fascinating race. I'm not going to say it was a classic, but Le Mans never, never ceases to amaze me, never ceases to fascinate me. So uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Toyota then, it, obviously they didn't have a lot of uh, challenge, shall we say, from Glickenhaus and Alpine, but um, still it's a, it's a difficult race to win, isn't it? Even when you don't have much of a challenge. 
Well, they the challenge they faced was not from Glickenhaus and Alpine, uh, who were a little bit further away than I was expecting and, and Toyota were expecting. But Toyota did face a challenge that could have ripped the uh, carpet from underneath them. Fans of the World Endurance Championship will know uh, last month at Monza that uh, the number eight car had a, uh, a fueling problem that actually meant it spent an hour in the pits having the sort of some major work done on the tank. So they basically changed the collector and with a filter in it in the tank. So that's that's a big job because it's like deep inside the tank. So it's not it's not uh, the work five minutes. They believed they'd got on top of this problem but it reared its head quite early in the race on uh, the number eight car, uh, sort of disappeared and then came back sort of around 7.30ish on Saturday morning. Had they have had to stop and do the same repair as at Monza on both cars, they wouldn't have finished the race. They wouldn't have finished on the podium. They wouldn't have finished in the top 10. And if they'd have done a similar, if the repair had taken the same amount of time uh, that it did at Monza, they would have been in the lower reaches of the uh, top 20, which is, you know, so yes, it, it looked like it was easy, but for them, it wasn't easy and it was nerve wracking. They they had to come up with a solution. They said they got creative. They called it a workaround. What they haven't told us is exactly what it was, partly because they don't know what the problem is. I would say they haven't solved the problem, but they managed <laughs> to get on top of it and not to bring the cars into the garage and have to rip them apart and lose the race. How close do you think they came to actually losing this then? Because that's not an easy situation to, to deal with, is it? The uh, new Le Mans hypercar rules, which the the cars, the latest uh, Toyota is built to, give you an energy allocation that you use between stints and it's not just the amount of fuel you're given because of because for toyota there's a hybrid so it incorporates the uh, the energy they have from their uh, energy energy retrieval system so you get a certain amount of energy the target is 12 laps toyota were generally going longer 13 laps was sort of average if it was a straight green stint. If there were slow zones, safety cars or whatever, it would have been a a little bit longer. They were going 13 laps. You know, they get a set amount of energy and it's up to them how how they use it. So they obviously that they chose to go slightly slower and slightly longer. So 13 laps was sort of their average. There were times when the eight car was really struggling and it sort of went down to eight, nine laps, and then there, then there'd be a four lap stint, uh, another four lap stint. Then they'd get it back up. But I think if you if you look from when they encountered the problem uh, on uh, Sunday morning, when it, the problem really took hold, uh, they only did one more thirteen lap stint over the course of the race, and all the stints were were shorter. Now, really, that didn't answer your question, which was. How close did they come to having to pull the cars into the garage and rip them apart and delve deep into the fuel tank? I don't know the answer to that. Of course, you asked them exactly what the problem was. They didn't tell us because they don't really know because they believed they'd solved this problem after Monza. And clearly they hadn't. Is it exactly the same problem? Uh, they, they wouldn't even commit to that. I would say it is or at least allied or very very similar problem so 
yeah, they wouldn't tell me exactly what the problem was. So, I mean, it's impossible for us to judge how close they came to dragging the cars into the garage or either of the one or other or both of the cars into the garage and ripping them apart. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. And perhaps they don't until they get home and do all the analysis. It's from the outside, it you know, it looks like they just absolutely dominated, but it's actually really, it was quite the sort of edge of the seat stuff, wasn't it? Well, it was for them. And, and, you know, they sort of gave us an inkling of this, but it was sort of quite hard. They're not going to broadcast that they're in problems, are they? You know, well, not massive problems, partly because they don't want the opposition to know. And I suppose, yeah, for, for any number of reasons. So it was, it was edge of the seat stuff for them. And I think particularly for the, the drivers of the winning car, the number seven car, Mike Conway, Jose Maria Lopez and Kumui Kobayashi, it must have been... Ah, it must have been painful given their history there and, you know, how many times they've lost it. You know, we all know about 2019, the year they really, really, really should have won it. Uh, And they had perhaps one of the most bizarre problems I've ever seen at Le Mans or I've ever I've ever seen read about or anything, basically. And and if if you don't remember, uh, they were dominating the race. They were home and dry, although some people say you should never use that term uh, about Le Mans. With about 61 minutes to go, Lopez got a puncture. These cars are clever bits of kits loaded with all the electronic gizmos. So there's a series of tyre pressure uh, sensors as, as well, I suppose most, most people's modern cars have got them, but I drive an old car, so mine hasn't. But anyway, this tyre is punctured. They came in, changed the tyre, just the one tyre, Lopez goes out and within sort of yards of leaving the the pit lane, he's saying, hang on, boys, I think I've still got a puncture. It's still showing a puncture. Basically, the the tyre pressure sensors were wired incorrectly. So it showed one corner was punctured. They changed that corner, but it wasn't that corner. So he then had a deflating tyre, had to do eight and a half miles at reduced pace, which took him over into the final hour, made an extra pit stop, loses the race. So that's the story of 2019. So, you know, you could imagine that for the for the guys who've suffered so much uh, bad luck, that it must have been particularly particularly nerve-wracking I, I I'm, I'm I'm not going to say uh, it was less nerve-wracking for the for the other car but it's a they weren't going to win it and b they've already won it so um so yeah I, I think it's slightly different for them you wrote actually a feature about the seven crew saying that could this be their year uh beforehand and they've obviously finally done it what do you think that actually means to to those three drivers as you sort of highlighted there they've been through sort of hell really trying to win this race um what, what you know obviously we saw Mike Conway sort of crying like it still means a lot doesn't it this race of course it does you know it's the centerpiece of of their season you know f- we've had a world championship uh, the world endurance championship since uh, 2012 which is a sort of a rebirth of the old world sports car championship if you can generically call it that that went from 1953 to 1992 but at the end of the day, yes, you can become world champion and they and those three drivers did last year. But I think the bigger prize is Le Mans because because of its history, because it's always been here, uh, because of the publicity it gets, 
because of the unique challenge of of an amazing circuit for all those reasons le mans le mans is more important than the world championship uh so it just means a hell of a lot and it's a it's a bit like saying what does it mean to win the indy 500 or win the monaco grand prix you know it's just that the, these are big races with um a massive media footprint you know it just means a lot to say you're the indy 500 winner the monaco grand prix winner or the le mans 24 hours winner the eight car obviously had uh some issues right from the start when it got hit by the glickenhaus in what was a chaotic start have you ever seen quite a start like that there was uh, there was chaos everywhere um there's been a few uh it was a bit weird although it wasn't quite as weird as when we when the rain came back in the night and we had like four separate incidents all at once which uh brought the safety car out including someone braking on a straight and getting uh well that actually that was before the safety car that was in a slow zone uh someone braking on the straight getting hit up the rear causing one accident uh and other accidents around the track uh it was it was a bit topsy-turvy at times i mean if you go back to uh a race i remember is um i'm gonna off the top of my head 2001 it it it, it was raining at the start and there was a a big shunt sort of on the run up to the uh porsche curves and the track was nearly blocked so yeah i've i've, I've seen crazy stuff like that before and and of course normally it's rain that that causes it which you know is perhaps you know rain obviously causes mayhem on all manner of uh, in all manner of forms of racing but let's not forget that uh le mans it's the volume of cars the nature of the track uh and perhaps the fact that we have a lot of uh, amateur drivers you know that sort of all goes together to sort of create a situation when you can have can have mayhem there was plenty of hype about the the Glicken houses, but uh, they didn't quite sort of live up to that. Why was that, and why were they sort of so far off the pace? They were off the pace at the beginning, but if you look at later in the race, they weren't off the pace. The Alpine, which which we can say led the chase of the Toyotas, but a bit of a forlorn chase as it as it turned out. It had an off in hour eight. Uh, Vaxivier put it off at the first chicane on the Mulsanne. And so it was It was coming back. Got, I think it dropped behind the P2 leader at the time and the uh, 708 uh, Glickenhaus. It sort of caught it. But then for like six or seven hours, they were involved in a fight and they were very evenly matched by that time. But earlier on in the race, the Glickenhauses had really struggled. And 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 the issue there is that the Glickenhaus doesn't work in a low grip situation, or they haven't got it working yet in a low grip situation. Why that is? Uh, well, I, I I think if they knew, they would have um, they'd be on their way to making it work in a low grip situation. And obviously, the ultimate low grip situation is when it's wet, uh, and the wet is a bit of a double whammy because not only does it make it low grip then but you've got you've got 60 odd cars running around the circuit on groove tires and they basically clean it so all that rubber that has been going down since well this time since sunday when we had the um the test day then on wednesday and thursday plus plus some rubber going down with the support races on friday we had a we had what appeared to be a, a 10 hour fun cup race i don't think it was that long but it just did seem to go on for a, a long time so there's lots of rubber down 
which gives you that grip. Well, basically, because of the rain, it was all wiped away. And the Glickenhaus really struggled. But if you look at its times, over the course of the race, it began to, to pick, pick up pace and to get closer, certainly to the Alpine and to, and to the Toyota. I actually looked at some of the averages. Over the race in total, the Glickenhauses were about uh, two, two seconds off Toyota's pace. If you just look at the um, second half of the race, it's just one second. Obviously, Toyota was having some problems, which weren't so much affecting its pace, more more its stint length. But they also they were in a dominant situation, so they so there was no need to push. So that that was certainly a factor. But the uh, Durrani Pla Mayo car, after it was caught by the Alpine, was a match for it for hours upon hours. And it could have snuck onto the podium. Ultimately, its bid for a top three was derailed. It got a bit unlucky in a slow zone. There's a ruling about um, about how long the refueling nozzle has to stay on the car. They got it slightly wrong and it came off a few temps too early. So they had to take uh, a penalty. Well, you can't do that penalty during a slow zone. So they missed the opportunity to uh, stop during a slow zone uh, and therefore they lost a little bit of time there that wasn't the crucial factor the crucial factor is that there was then a full course yellow well you don't get many full course yellows at Le Mans and they're normally to pick up a marker or a uh, just 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 to do some sort of, I'd say, track housekeeping because there's a, a bit of debris there. There's a one of the, what they call floppies, one of the corner markers lying over here. So they set, set and these are, are, are normally very short-lived. The 708 Glickenhaus at that very moment needed to stop. The rules say you shouldn't stop during a full course yellow, but there is a provision if you have to stop to take on fuel, that you can do what is called an emergency fuel stop, which just is just a five-second splash of fuel. They could have done that, but then, of course, they would have been due in the next lap to do a proper fuel stop. They opted to leave the car out with May, Frank Mayo at the wheel and to get round the eight and a half miles of the lap. Well, if it had stayed yellow it wouldn't have been a factor because they're doing 80 kilometers an hour and he can go round with that little bit of fuel that he had left in the tank. The problem was that it went green when he was maybe a third of the way around the lap. Therefore, he ended up, do, he, he literally had to nurse it round, round the lap on, on fumes, basically. So he ended up doing a lap that was over five minutes. So he lost... Not quite two minutes, but uh, he lost a, a minute and a half. And that basically turned the race against them and sort of Alpine was home and dry by then. So so that shows you the little things on which uh, races at Le Mans can turn. And yeah, Glickenhaus potentially could have been on the podium. And I think people would be saying, hey, Glickenhaus on the podium it would have been slightly different I mean I still think fourth and fifth is an an amazing result for them um, because the car was was ultra reliable but uh, I think maybe yeah if if they'd have been on the podium people say oh yeah they've got between between the Toyotas and the Alpine but 
yeah at the moment at the moment people are looking at it going oh well they weren't on the pace well that's not quite right they weren't on the pace at the beginning but they were much much nearer to it uh, over the second half of the race so do you think that they'll they'll leave here or leave Le Mans sorry feeling how do you think they'll feel do you think they're positive thinking they know where they're short and how far they can be you know on the pace next time round, or do you think they'll be thinking well that was a missed opportunity we really should have nailed that they're a small fish in a big pond and I think fourth and fifth is good I'm sure there's an element of disappointment that they didn't make on the make it onto the podium because those opportunities you know they don't know you don't know how often they're going to come around you know it might be their their one chance to do it think back to Pescarolo uh you know the the sports car great four-time uh winner as a driver starts his own team ran an excellent team uh and they you know a privateer team against the manufacturers. They had their one chance in 2005 when they were really had a, a performance advantage. Their two cars, one was one had a gearbox problem, and the other car was was put off the track three times by the same driver. They missed their chance to um, to win the race, and it never came round again. Uh, and you know, within a few years, the team had shut its doors. Um, so yeah. Will Glickenhaus get another chance? Difficult to say. Yes, they are happy. They told me they're happy. Can they get on top of the on top of the issue? Well, that's 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 a good question, isn't it? Um, I don't know the answer to that, and I, I, I'm sure they don't know the answer to that because you know I'm, it has been clear that it, the car doesn't work well, or what what we call a green track. It's been clear for some time. So, you know, they're obviously, they know they've got a problem, but they haven't got on the top of the problem. Can they get on top of it? Well, I, that's a good question, isn't it? You would have to ask them. That, you know, they can't redesign the car. These cars are homologated for five years. You get a certain number of tokens to develop what are called subsystems. So it's like you can develop the aero, you can, uh, yeah. Uh, can they do enough on the car to, uh, to solve this problem? Don't know. As you, you explained there, we had the, they were involved in a clash with the eight car on the, on the first lap. Had that not had happened, would that have made much difference? Or do you think there's still that, that you know, the, the deficit was too large at that point when it was, when it was wet? I think, I think the reason Oli Pla hit uh, Buemi is because, because there's, the Glickenhaus isn't very good in the wet. You know, he basically locked up. He was a bit racy there at the start. He'd always already tried to sort of go up the inside into the... Uh, through the Dunlop curve, through the sort of the cur- the old corner, really, the curving uh, right that leads into the Dunlop chicane. I think he was a bit racy, uh, probably got caught out. You know, Glickenhaus has done virtually no running in the wet. I think that they told me that they've tested for about two hours. So the drivers aren't familiar with the car in the wet. They, you know, he just got caught out. I don't, I don't think that affected them. And obviously Alpine, there's, there was some talk and, and I think you filed a story about them and their future in, in hypercar and potentially building a new car. As this one is a grandfathered old LMP1. Could we see them back in a, in a different guise? Well, it, they're sort of, they're making much more positive noises than they were when they announced this programme. It was very much, uh, yes, we look a, a year ago when they announced it or less than a year ago it was very much yes we're looking at the future but this is a one-year program now there's now they're sort of talking openly about yes we could do uh, a Le Mans hypercar or possibly the other route into the world championship the LMDH category which the car is uh, would then be based on a LMP 
P2 chassis. They're saying they're evaluating it. They're saying they could make a decision uh, by the end of the year. Could this result impact on that? I think it could because um, it will perhaps persuade the uh, people who um, control the budgets that uh, endurance racing is uh, worthwhile, uh, that it it gives a return. So, yeah, I think... I think it's positive for Alpine and and their chances of coming back in the future, which would be some way down the line because obviously they can't develop a new car for next year. At the moment, the LMP1 car isn't allowed next year, but I would imagine that if they commit to a project, they would be allowed to bring it back. That would be be my uh, uh, supposition. Just just a final sort of question on the hypercar section. Obviously, this was the first Le Mans with the hypercar class. How do you feel uh, it's going to go in the future? Obviously, we are going to see more uh, manufacturers get involved. Do you think next year are we or, and years to come, it's going to be quite an exciting prospect? Well, I think so because uh, we have we have a lot of manufacturers coming. We have um, the the rules are set up to allow to sort of level the playing field. It didn't quite work out like that. Don't forget that the Alpine is a grandfathered car, so it's it's sort of meant to be half a yard behind in pace, if you know what I mean. It the the whole the regs didn't quite work out for Glickenhaus uh this year. Uh but I no, I do think we are set for an exciting era, a, a very different era, uh, because it's be a balance of performance racing where the level the playing field is levelled. I don't think we can draw too many conclusions from this year, except say the cars were reliable, uh, which, uh, yeah, which surprised a few people, myself included, and I, I suspect that some of the teams running them as well. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Just moving on to, to LMP2 now, while there wasn't quite a, a, a battle at the front in the hypercar class, but in LMP2, it was a, a fascinating scrap and a really uh, dramatic uh, climax, shall we say, with the uh, WRT guys winning um, on debut. Could I say I'm surprised? No, because WRT is an amazing team. You know, they, they've won everything in the GT3 arena over the last 10 years where they've worked with Audi. They've won the Nürburgring 24 hours, the Spa 24 hours. Uh, they've, won, they've run the Bathurst 12 hours. They've won the Suzuka, however many hours that race is. <laughs> they've even run, I do believe they've even run won the Zolder 24 hours. Am I surprised that WRT <coughs> are, are there straight away? No, because they're a top line team who've who've you know been there, done it, got the t shirt. That's not to say that you know I thought they were going to win. I'm not surprised that they did well because they're a good team. But you know they've come into an ultra competitive class with lots of good teams. You know you you look down the entry for P2 this year and you thought, oh, they can win, they can win, they can win. You know you wouldn't possibly say you know you could you you you'd probably say you know in you. 
potential winners in double figures, you know, certainly, certainly getting into that region, you know, because we had uh, United Autosport last year's winners. They had three cars. Jota had two cars. WAT had two cars. We had G Drive had two cars, but one of only only one was really a potential winner. You know, there's lots of cars that 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 that, um, you know, on paper had had the uh, had the driver line up and the sort of structure behind them to uh, do the business. But with the the way that it finished, they were obviously set for a one-two, which would have been an incredible result. But then the one of the cars, the the forty-one, uh, had the last lap drama, which was very similar to the Toyota in twenty sixteen in, in a way. And the other car wins. What a feeling that must be in the team garage, where you've got like jubilation in one garage and despair in the other. Yeah, I must admit, uh, Vincent Voss, the um, the team uh, team owner, team co owner, team principal, who uh, who is a, a bit of an anglophile. He started his racing career in the UK, including racing in the uh, Champion of Alton Formula Ford series. Uh, <laughs> he he said it. You know, it was mixed emotions. He said, you know. The team have been working so hard on this project. You know, on the one hand, we've got this, we, we've celebrated victory. But then on the other hand, we've had victory ripped away, ripped away from us. And if I can just correct you, because I'm very keen to make, to be historically correct here. The Toyota did not stop on the lap, did not have its problem on uh, the last lap. Yeah. It had its problem on the uh, penultimate lap. But it, it, it seems that, you know, last lap failures are, is a better story than a penultimate lap story, isn't it? So it's sort of, it's, it's, it's almost become accepted that the Toyota had its problem on the last lap of Le Mans uh, uh, all those years ago. Well, it, it, it wasn't. It was on the penultimate lap and it was actually... Uh, early when Nakajima started to lose power, it was actually in sector one of the penultimate lap. So, uh, so if I could, sorry, I just correct you. No, no, that's that, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sticking um, a flag in the sand for historical accuracy here. You know, they had a throttle sense of failure, so basically the the car just basically shut down uh, as it came underneath the uh, Dunlop curve and sort of rolled down the hill and that was and that was it and then of course we had this amazing battle over the over the remainder of that lap for what what which was going to be an amazing battle for second place became an amazing battle um for the win with tom blonkvist chasing down uh, robin freens in the winning uh WRT car, Tom Blomqvist in one of the Jota cars. And we, we should mention that these cars are Orica Gibson 07s because most of the cars racing in LMP2 these days are Oricas. There was only one non-Orica in the race, uh, Elige, which didn't really feature. Um, Freens had been struggling. The, the team had lost the air jacks on the car, so they're have to, having to use these bizarre pillow things or balloons to jack the car up. They could only change two tyres tires on one axle at a time he'd also taken a hit uh on one of the rear wheels and he and he said that you know the car just wasn't right over the final laps Blancfist was absolutely flying and, and that Jota car that uh, tom shared with stoffel van dorn and sean galeo was the quickest car over over the course of the race look at the averages and it, it was it was it was the quickest it it dropped back because it had a couple of penalties quite quite early in the race what both from the same pit stop 
because the team called Tom in late and he had to cross the um, the white line. And when he left, he picked up the wrong safety car. He he said the light at the end of the pit lane was green. He went out, joined the wrong safety car. He should have waited for the next one along because at Le Mans, because it's such a long circuit, there are actually three safety cars. He joined the wrong one and that came with a 90-second stop-go penalty. So they were fighting back from that for the whole race but they certainly had the pace I mean the fact that he was able to close down Freens so dramatically at the end clearly showed that Freens had a problem uh, and and he said basically the rear end had gone on the car he said he, he thought something was broken uh, he didn't know what it was but it, it took a bash from a Porsche out on track quite early in his uh, in the stints uh, that he finished the race and um, yeah he he was struggling so he was lucky, lucky to get home then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, so uh, you know, with sort of three hours to go, you'd say WRT are home and dry. They're heading for a one-two. Everything looks great. Four hours later, they one of the cars is parked at the cir- at the side of the circuit, and one wins by seven seconds. You know, four hours before they had a lead of you know a minute or so or or perhaps more so it shows you that things can always turn at Le Mans if if you needed reminding of that was it 0.7 second margin at the end there in the that's correct yes yeah yeah so I mean to to have that margin after 24 hours is incredible isn't it of course but you know let's you know a race is a race and it can go to the wire can't it of course it can you know you know I don't know if that is the closest ever finish in one of the Le Mans classes I I would suspect it is but probably it's not documented well enough for us to (laughs) say that for certain you know there are statistics about the overall the the closeness of the overall victory back in the olden days the um, the ACO the organizers of the race used to uh, publish a winning margin that was in meters not not minutes seconds or whatever the closest closest ever finish is 20 meters which is the famous the ford versus ford finish at le mans 66 which uh, a lot of people will have been reminded of because of the ford versus ferrari film which was called le mans 66 if you're listening um in america then of course the probably the closest competitive finish because that was sort of staged uh or a a botched staging is probably uh, correct. The closest competitive finish was when Ford scored the final victory in its run of four in 69. Jackie X beat Hans Hermann by what was is officially stated as 120 meters then it in terms of the the closest time finish it's it's actually much more recently 2011 audi versus peugeot andre lotter against Simon pagino yep and uh, that was 13.854 seconds so that's close after 24 hours seven temps knocks them all for six doesn't it yeah, I would be interested to know if there are any statistics, and and someone's gonna someone's gonna email in and say, but what about the nineteen fifty three such and such a class? Uh, we're not talking that long ago. Le Mans was bet be- wasn't normally a race to the finish because half the crowd was on the track, the marshals were on the track, so you couldn't race to the finish, and it was Freens and um, Blancfist 
were struggling to race to the finish because, of course, Toyota was getting ready for the photo finish. People don't want to overtake the leaders because then they have to do uh, another lap. So everything's Constantinering up, up behind them. And then you've got two guys racing for victory, sort of zigzagging between these sort of s- slowing drivers. And it, it was, yeah, it was... Uh, a bit da- uh, slightly dangerous, actually, if, if, if truth be known. But uh, there you go. Talking about people on the track, as uh, one of the talking points at the end there was as we got to the end, one of the, the LMP2 car almost hit the, the checker flag man, which, yeah, um, w- which, which was an interesting topic. And I, I guess it's tradition, but um, should, we, should that change? If the race director uh, knows that there are two cars racing for position then he should wave the flag from somewhere else, shouldn't he, really? That would be, was, that would be my uh, point of view. Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting finish nonetheless. But uh, going also back to some of the other contenders in LMP2, United Autosports had a bit of a, a nightmare, didn't they? And obviously highlighted by a bit of friendly fire um, at uh, the chicane there and on the, it sort of says, as night fell. Yeah, that was very unfortunate to sort of effectively to have the chances of two cars wiped out in one go. It starts to rain, the light's fading, it's difficult to know where it's raining, where it's not, how wet the track is here, how wet the track is there. Uh, Manuel Maldonado uh, arrives in the Dunlop curve, Uh, it's his first Le Mans, he skates off, skates through the gravel and T-Bones Paul DeResta in uh, the sister car. Now, Paul DeResta was uh, in the lead at the time, hits him hard in the side, does quite a bit of damage, damages the nose a little bit to the back, and also puts a hole in the side pod that they sort of patched up. Um, So that car that was uh, co-driven by Alex Lynn and Wayne Boyd was, you know, they, they repaired it bloody quickly in such a competitive class. You lose 10 minutes, and I think it was only only 10 minutes you're you're very unlikely to win they came back to fourth which uh you know i think in the circumstances was was uh, a good result after 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 that hit how do you i mean as a team manager there uh, i'm not sure how you deal with uh, such an incident like that because obviously it is a 24-hour race but to have your two cars come together like that must have been horrendous in the garage i think if 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 it's one of your drivers uh being belligerent, being a plonker, I think it must be it must be very hard. I, in this instance, it it was just one of those things, you know, a set of circumstances. You know, as we said, it's difficult. It's such a long circuit; you don't know where it's raining, where it's not. It night was falling, so it's difficult to see the track surface. He's a rookie. He doesn't Maldonado's a rookie. He doesn't have that experience. Yeah, I think. I think it would be very diff- difficult, very, yeah, it'd be very hard for Richard Dean, the team boss, to sort of, you know, put him on the naughty boy step. I think, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, it, people say that's racing, but that's absolutely, uh, I think <laughs> that sums it up in this instance. And another uh, strong contender that sort of fell foul, actually, at the first corner was Anthony Davidson in the, in the other Jota, and he... he actually got caught up in someone else's incident. A GT car had gone off and then he'd gone off after it and got stuck in the gravel. Yeah, very uh, uncharacteristic uh, mistake from Anthony. It's actually his f- starting his first flying lap after taking 
the car over from Antonio Felix da Costa. The car was right up there. Da Costa was amazing in qualifying, blitzed it basically, both in first qualifying on Wednesday and then in the hyperpole session on pole by half a second. Okay, it's a long track, but that's that's still a a big margin. He he even got up to second place overall because he was running on inters. The Goodyear Goodyear have a very strong intermediate tire, and as the track dried, he was he was as quick as the the Le Mans hype cars. That you know, it, it's a shame for them. Would they have won? LMP two is a sort of um, you have to have a silver rated driver or or, or lower. You can't have free pros. Um, they there are a lot of what what I call super silvers like Charles Malazzi in the winning WRT car a guy who's done a bit of super formula you know a single seater refugee if you like who's who's realised that probably he hasn't got the resources to make it to the top of single seaters so he's sort of ploughing a new uh, career path they have Roberto Gonzalez okay he's a guy who's done uh, a bit of champ car but he's an amateur racer he's 40 something you know a good little peddler you know ultimately not that consistent a bit up and down um so you know that would have been hard for them to win given given the pace of the race especially if you look at the um you know the pace of yeah of the WRT car and and the 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 other Jota car, you know, could they have won it? Who knows? I guess we should move on to the GTE Pro and GTM classes. Um, both of them actually produced really fascinating battles throughout the race. In GTE Pro, obviously, of course, looked like they were set for a one-two, but suspension failure on the Sam Bird Ferrari cost them, and Corvette nipped in for the second place after a really strong effort in that sixty-four car. Obviously, um, I, of course, uh, the Ferrari won GT Pro, but they were they were battled hard by the Corvette, uh, the number 63 Corvette. And it was a strong debut for Corvette with the C8R car. Just sort of talk us through how Corvette would have uh, felt with that result. Well, I think Corvette racing are probably always disappointed when uh, they don't win Le Mans because they've, uh, you know, over the last 20 years, they've uh, won Le Mans a lot of times. Um, this was their sort of... Re- to call it their return to Le Mans is sort of well it was a return to Le Mans but of course unfortunately because of Covid because of restrictions on international the difficulties let's say of international travel last year and the uh, uh, postponed race back in it was September last year that impacted on the IMSA schedule which is their full-time program so they couldn't come they couldn't bring the new mid-engine car last year that's the C8R um so they're back after after a year away. They, you know, they came close. Were they totally competitive? I think Ferrari, Ferrari had the edge. You know, they held their own. And what we shouldn't forget, of course, is that um, is the sister car, the car with with Britain's Nick Tandy, uh, Alexander Sims, and uh, with Tommy Milner in the car. That was more or less out of the picture from the word go after it got. Uh, hit up the rear by James Calado's Ferrari even before the race has started. So this is when they were leaving the le- leaving what we call the echelon grid where they're sort of lined up sort of with, with their tails towards the, the, um, the, the pit wall. It damaged the diffuser, which hours later they finally changed, uh, left them uh, absolutely nowhere. So, And that had been the faster car during qualifying, partly because the... Uh, the car that finished second uh, 
with uh, Garcia, Taylor and Katzberg uh, had had some technical issues earlier in the week. Uh, but but yeah, it was the, the Tandy car that was the quicker of the cars in, in qualifying. Uh, so, you know, would that have been different if, if they had had a clean run, you know, and, and with a with a, a car that wasn't damaged? Well, that's that's a good question, isn't it? I guess then for for them though they would be encouraged uh, by the pace that they have shown, and next year they must feel as though they're confident they can challenge again. I think I think yeah, when Corvette comes to win, doesn't it? You know, it's a it's a a big buck professional operation. It it it, uh, it doesn't uh, it's it doesn't turn up to make up the numbers. Le Mans is always a, an interesting race just because of the the length of it and and how. Uh, hard it is on the drivers and teams but was there any sort of interesting little stories in the in the paddock and pit lane that you were uh, sort of uncovered of drivers trying to get sleep or anything like that over the weekend well i think that these days they all have their little sort of uh, cabins in the pits so uh, you know drivers do their best to sleep and and one thing i sh- should also say cars are not as noisy as they used to be uh, it, it was quite funny we had we had the road to le mans race on on the undercard here which uh is sort of dominated by um so that's dominated by lmp3 cars gt3 cars as well they have uh, a big rorty uh nissan engine and that and, th- and those cars are louder than the um than all the cars that race in the uh world endurance championship race which which was a bit funny oh I, they seemed louder to me i think you know do drivers sleep some drivers can sleep other drivers just say they can't i remember talking to johnny herbert talking about his the year he won le mans with mazda in 1991 well the mazda was the most it was a, a rotor engine car a four rot- rotor engine a wankel engine if you want to use the i guess the 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 correct term and it was it was ear splitting it was painful to listen to and Johnny Herbert said that he did not sleep a wink because he could hear his car. And it was almost like he was he was trying to hear if it was having a problem if one of his teammates had had, uh, had put it off. And he said he was just basically listening to his car for all the hours he wasn't in the car because he could just hear it. And then, of course, he uh, it, that probably didn't help his cause at the end of the race. He drove the final stints and then collapsed getting out of the car and didn't make it onto the podium. So uh, I think it probably played it played a part, but I suspect dehydration was probably more important in his sort of meltdown there. And what about yourself covering the race? It's it can't it can't be easy. I've done the twenty four hour race before, and it is brutal on the on the journalists. Well, I, I I always get some sleep and a shower and a change of shirt and that kind of thing because my job doesn't finish with the checkered flag. My my I then run around the paddock for uh, three hours trying to. I, I know what's happened. Then my job is to find out why it happened and to find out, you know, the intricacies of the race. And then when I've done that, I have to actually write the sodding story. I love Le Mans, but it is, it is a, it's a hard, hard race for me to do. And I, I, sh- I shouldn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, wearing Nomex, sweating, sweating my uh, butt off, am I? But uh, yeah, it's hard for me, but I'm going to say it's slightly harder for the drivers and the mechanics and just finally um are you excited for next year's Le Mans already or do you need some time to to get yourself uh, up and ready for that one well I, I again saw the model the show car version of the new Peugeot their Le Mans hypercar the 9x8 I saw it again it was here 
we don't know if that car is coming next year. They're, they're not committing to a start date or a sort of the, the date, the race they're going to start racing next year. Could be Le Mans, might not be. They say they're going to decide after initial testing over the winter. Uh, so I guess if that car's here, I'm going to be very excited. If it's not, I'm probably going to be less, slightly less excited. Thanks, Gary. That's our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. Oreo Pujamon has spoken to Mark Marquez in an exclusive interview about the challenges of returning to MotoGP after injury. Gary Watkins has penned his report from last weekend's Le Mans 24 Hours. And Alex Kalinorkas talks to Mick Schumacher about how he is forging his own name in Formula One. We think it's the best motorsport writing out there, but judge for yourself with half-price access. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST, all in capital letters, during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.